Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can uh, download the Hue Version Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And don't forget, as questions arise, or maybe you, they just come up as you're listening to our conversations about the Bible, or just in our, even more conversations in our Q&A podcast, which drops at the end, the last Friday of every month, uh, feel free to send us those in send us in those questions uh, at infogrove.church. Uh, you can direct message us at the Facebook uh, page uh, titled The Grove Church. If you haven't done that already, make sure you like The Grove Church as well so you can stay in the loop uh, as far as when new podcasts drop and all the different things coming up here for The Grove Church. So there you go. Do it. And if you're looking for the Grove Church, I guess there are a few. So we're the one located. Grove Church in, Marysville. And, or Snohomish. And Snohomish. Both of them in one page. So there yes. you go. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into this week's Bible talk. Uh, we're actually going to kick off in the book of Acts this week. Um, and we're getting to... We're not talking body spray, people. Not body spray. Not, this, isn't a, this isn't a youth podcast. But <laughs> Hey, that's true. Um, no, we're getting to the end of the book of Acts. And I think it's one of the more... Um, it's one of the more interesting kind of asides of Acts because we as the readers know how Paul's story ends. But what's kind of interesting is that Acts is actually finished and sent off to Theophilus before Paul dies. Um, at least we can infer that because otherwise it'd be really weird to write the story of Paul knowing that he died and then not include that he died. So um, Acts, kind of, Acts kind of just leaves off where Paul's in Rome. And he's waiting to see what happens. And what I kind of want to talk about is how we're gonna how we're gonna get there. So next week, uh, I think we're reading just Acts twenty eight. Uh, so we probably won't talk about it in next week's podcast. And this this uh, episode is really just going to be focusing on the end of Acts and what's going on. And so I, I titled the section in our notes. Uh, someone must have just fallen upstairs. So that's always fun. Uh, I titled this section uh, the trials of Paul. And so what's really interesting is that Paul is on his missionary journeys, and then he uh, feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. Um, and I, I forgot what city it, it was in because I, di- I didn't put it in my notes, but there's even a point where um, he tells the elders of one of the churches that he's visiting on his way back um, that he's going back to Jerusalem. And then the elders are telling him, like, well, no, if you go there, you're going to die. And he's like, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me that too. And then he just kind of like keeps going or you'll be in prison. I forgot which one it was. But uh, Paul is being incredibly obedient uh, to God. He gets to Jerusalem um, and there's just some controversy. And so, and this is where it's really interesting to look at some of the conflict in the early church because I think we just kind of look back and assume that um, like everyone was great and there was no conflict between people. There was no theological conflict between at least the leaders of the church, um, but there clearly was. And so, when Paul gets back to Acts, uh, sorry, when Paul gets back to Jerusalem, uh, he essentially tries to show that even though he's been saying that you don't have to follow the Jewish law, there's also nothing wrong with following the Jewish law. And so he goes to the temple. Um, he he, I think he makes some sacrifices. I don't remember what he does. Um, and then the Jews basically plot to kill him, have him arrested, all these different things. And so the next uh, few chapters of the book of Acts are really dealing with the different trials of Paul. And what I love about this section is that it really is um, this really interesting look at Paul's testimony because he's forced time and time again to kind of tell different Mm -hmm. people from different perspectives why he's doing what he's doing. And so to kind of break it down into sections in, uh, in chapters 21 verse 37 through 22, 20, 
through 2221. That was the only like kind of weird one. Uh, Paul gives his testimony to the people of Jerusalem. So Paul's arrested. Uh, the centurion who arrests him allows him to address the people of Jerusalem from the top, top of the barracks. And in this section, uh, Paul just, he tells the events that lead to his conversion and how God called him to preach to the Gentiles. And so he says, you know, I was on my way to Damascus. An incredible blinding light comes. Um, Jesus reveals himself to me. There's miracles that happen. And then God calls me to take this good news beyond um, just Israel and the Jewish people and to take it to the Gentiles. And then right when he says, I've been called to also preach to the Gentiles, that's when uh, the people in the audience basically lose it um, and they're they're not going to have any of it. So Paul is then sent uh, to Governor Felix. Um, and essentially, he before Felix, he demonstrates that he's committed no crime. Uh, he's saying that, you know, this is, I was in the temple, I wasn't doing anything wrong, not according to Jewish law, not according to uh, to Roman law either. Um, and then kind of one of the odd sections of scripture, but also I think one of the sections that kind of proves that scripture is not just made up, uh, because it's it's just redundant that Felix leaves and then uh, Festus comes, and he just said, has to say the same stuff to Festus. And so, if you're making up the story... Um, there's no point in having mm-hmm. that in there, but obviously these are real people. These are real governors that were uh, transferring in and out of Judea. And so before Governor Festus, Paul again says that he's committed no crime, and then he asks to have his case heard before Caesar. Now, this is an important point because Paul is a Roman citizen, and so he has the right um, to not just stand trial in Jerusalem. He has the right to go appeal his case before Caesar in Rome. And so that is uh, kind of what he does. But before he does... Um, he actually is seen by King Agrippa and uh, his wife Bernice. Uh, and King Agrippa is the the king of Judea at the time, so he's kind of a, an under king, I guess, if you will, of Caesar. Mm-hmm. And he asks him what's going on, and that's when Paul says in, in verses twenty six or chapter twenty six, verses twenty twelve through twenty nine. Uh, I just wanted to read this passage, and then we'll kind of move on from the from this section of Acts. And this is Paul speaking. He says. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, O Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you may have seen, uh, which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the reign, the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so stand here testifying both to small, both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and by that, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both light to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most, ex- most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and I speak to him boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for, he is, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains, which I also love. That's the sarcastic little quip at the end there, Mm -hmm. because remember Paul's standing in front of them in chains. He's like, I hope that all of you will become like me without these chains. (laughs) And so it's just a good little side. But um, after this, Paul uh, sails for Rome. And that really is the ending of the book of Acts. Um, There's a couple things that happen. There's a really cool story in the island of Malta, um, which I mean, honestly, just read it. It's a great story. Um, We don't really have time to go into it here. Um, But then Paul gets to Rome and that's kind of just where the book ends. And we know that eventually uh, he does stand trial before Nero. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a great fire that happens. Um, Nero ends up blaming Christians. And so uh, tradition tells us that Paul and I think Peter as well are both caught up um, in that, and they end up being executed um, under false pretenses that they had helped uh, try to destroy the city of Rome, and that and that's really how the story of Paul ends. But I just think it's really, it's just, I, I love Paul at the end of life a little bit, which I know is kind of weird to say. It's weird, I know, but, a little morbid too. Yeah, but I like the, it when Paul's dying. I'm <laughs> well, just kidding. Yeah, he's not dying; he's just getting close. But no, I think. The letters of Paul later in life and even the stories of Paul later in life are just filled with tenderness because I think when he starts out, you can see his growth as from legalistic Pharisee into older man who truly does show like, wow, what incredible grace that God has given me. And he continues to extend it to others. And I I just think it's cool that you see – that you just see mature is a weird word to talk about like St. Paul or whatever. But it's true. Yeah, but it's you, absolutely true. You see him grow in his faith. You see him uh, continue. And, and by the time he just gets to the end, like the way um, that he proclaims why he believes what he believes, it's so matter of fact. I think it's so powerful for, for us to read today. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just think it's always, it's always important to remember, like Paul was not like this genius, mature follower of Christ. He was young. He was dumb. He was, inexperienced. And so at the end of his life, you kind of see full circle the journey uh, and the willingness and humility to lay his life down uh, for the gospel. And so such a cool, such a cool thing. And even back to Evan's point at the very beginning, seeing, uh, seeing Paul, at the end of his uh, ministry gives a really unique um, and, and well-rounded perspective uh, that I think we should only hope for at the end of our times in following Christ and doing what God called us to. So, uh, yeah, really fun story, really uh, unique. It's kind of sad too because Paul is like this anchor and pillar, and oh, he's going to be dying soon. So, anyways, yeah, you see this um, this generational shift mm-hmm. that everyone um, except John is a part of. John yeah. kind of lasts a little bit longer, but then um, right after Acts twenty eight is really when you see um, the 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 church kind of come. Uh, the control is weird because obviously God is kind of God yeah. is in charge of the church, but, but it steps into a new era. Yeah, of, the of, the leaders of the church are no longer the apostles who were directly with Jesus, but yeah. they start becoming the people who studied under the yeah. apostles, which the, is the also baton, really, the baton is being passed. Yeah, yeah, which is also really interesting. Yeah, time to study as well. Yeah, it definitely is. So, uh, but we're going to continue on. 
Uh, one of the things we're going to be continuing in as we launched last week was uh, into the book of Jeremiah. And this week, we're actually going to be reading about 13 chapters, 14 chapters in chapter 7 to chapters 20. Uh, and really quick, a unique thing about these two these uh, these chapters is, is actually you'll see uh, in an overview perspective, chapter seven to 10 deals with this idea of false religion and the people of God being idolatrous. Uh, and then you'll see in chapters 11 to 20 that Jeremiah is actually struggling, uh, with God and Judah. And it's just this interesting, um, twofold, uh, connection or a conjunction of these two, uh, sections of, of Jeremiah. Uh, and just real quick, chapter seven to 10, you'll see, uh, like this, this backs up the, uh, truth of God's accusation in the first or chapters two through six. Uh, you see Judah taking comfort in the temple, uh, but breaking God's commands. You see them rejecting the Torah. You see them living deceitfully. You see them, you know, grieving the fact that there's a prophet who's preaching against them. Uh, and you see them obviously engage in idolatry. Uh, and at the end of chapter 10, you just see the promise of exile. Hey, it's coming. <laughs> You're going to be removed. Uh, and then it continues on in chapter 11, where Jeremiah, after seeing the truth behind God's accusation unfold in God's people, you see him in this almost wrestling match with God and Judah. He's, he's the mediator at times, but he's also the, the one, you know, that represents God to the people. And so you're going to see over the next, you know, 10, I think 10 chapters between 11 and 20, this wrestling match that Jeremiah, and you'll see this throughout the entire book, but specifically this week, uh, you'll find the the nation of Israel is facing invasion. Uh, you, you see Jeremiah struggle to serve God faithfully, which I think speaks to all of us, because I think it's hard to always do what God asks us to. Uh, you see uh, him surprised that the people oppose him. You see him surprised or and stunned that he's been betrayed by God is what he feels like. But then you also see him renewed by God and you see him burdened with this, uh, burdened by the opposition, but also uh, prepared by God, but in the work of the Holy Spirit to continue serving. Uh, and so it's going to be an interesting kind of elaborate concoction, almost melting pot of a variety of different things in a matter of 14 chapters. Uh, but I wanted to highlight for us in Jeremiah 11 real quick, verses 9 to 16, uh, a passage that I think is pretty stark. Uh, but if we kind of stop and think about it for a second, I think really provides us with a really great picture uh, of God's grace and uh, the hope that we possess. And so it says this in verse 9 of chapter 11. It says, the Lord said to me, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, a conspiracy has been discovered among the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem. They have returned to the iniquities of their fathers who refused to obey my words and have followed other gods to worship them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah broke my covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring on them disaster that they cannot escape. Pretty sad. They will come, they will cry out to me, but I will not hear them. Then the cities of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods they have been burning incense to, but certainly they will not save them in their time of disaster. Your gods are indeed as numerous as your cities, Judah, and the altars you have set up to shame, altars to burn incense to Baal, as numerous as the streets of Jerusalem. As for you, do not pray for these people. Now, this is God talking back to Jeremiah. Do not raise up a cry or a prayer on their behalf, for I will not be listening when they call out to me at the time of their disaster. What right does my beloved have to be in my house? Having carried out so many evil schemes, can holy meat prevent your disaster so you can celebrate? What he's talking about is the sacrifices that they that they are meant to offer. They're, he's not going to accept their sacrifices anymore. And then finally, verse 16 says, Then the Lord named you a flourishing olive tree, beautiful and well-formed fruit. 
he has set fire to it, and its branches are consumed with the sound of a mighty tumult. Uh, And it's kind of a stark picture between a God who loves his people, but is so frustrated with their sin and rebellion. Um, And what I mean by saying that there's uh, a deeper understanding of grace, uh, one of the commentaries that I've been just reading through over the last several months uh, is on the book of Jeremiah. And there's this statement on these sections of verses, on this section of verses, and it says this, there is no way around this curse. Since we cannot help but say sorry to God for our sins, we also cannot help but say amen to the curses of his covenant. In other words, what he's saying is there's no way you and I can get around the curse of sin. There's no way you and I can get around the wrath and the punishment that's coming because of sin. And and mainly because there's nothing we can say but sorry to God. As a, as a, as a dad, one of the things that I get most annoyed with at times, not really most annoyed with, but I see often with my kids, my son especially, he's hitting his sister or hitting in general, and I'll tell him, stop hitting. Sorry, dad, dad. That's all he can say. And then I'm trying to help you know, discipline him or put him in timeout because I don't beat my kids yet, and I might spank them because I got spanked and I'm a good kid, I think. Um, well, yeah. You know, you know what, knows. Evan? You and I can chat off- offline. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But- it's, it's this tension of we can only say sorry for our sins, which also in turn means we can only say amen to the curse of his covenant. It's, it's God's wrath. It's his way. He's just and righteous and good. And so the only things that we can say are sorry and your will be done. Uh, and it continues. Sure. Go ahead. You were going to say something? Oh, no. I was just saying, I guess like. You, you leaned in like you're ready to. Oh, you, sometimes I just like being close to the mic. You know? I know. But, uh, it's comforting. Well, I, I guess like as, 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 a, as a thought along these lines, I think it's interesting that um, – what this really is here is it's a cold break of the way that the relationship between God and his people has worked in the yeah. Old Testament. Because what you see from, uh, I mean, really from Abraham up to this point is God reveals himself. Uh, the people follow him. The people fall away. Punishment comes. They cry out to God mm-hmm. and God reveals himself again. And it's a cycle that keeps going and going. And even in Israel, I would say that... Um, when their destruction comes, they're not actually the, – by Israel, I mean the northern kingdom. They're not crying out to God anymore. They're, the, Israel's just completely toast. They're gone. Oh, we know he'll forgive us. Like they, It's almost taking advantage of the grace that they've been given and the mercy they've received. Right. And then they've just should have projected them. Okay, then, I'm done. Yeah. And then in Judah, there's this interesting point where God knows that they are going to cry out for forgiveness. They are going to cry out um, for these things. And I'm not going to give it to them. Yeah. And so it, it's it's really sad yeah. um, when you just kind of think about it because it's this picture of like, um, I guess a father who's just done. Yeah. I, like, you want to talk about tough love? Yeah. No more. No more. Uh, no I'm more not getting out of this anymore. Yeah. And here's the thing, and even finishing because this is, this is not where I want to leave it. At the end of the the commentary continues. It says this: There's no way around this curse, curse of sin, curse of the fall. He said, but there is a way through it. There's a way through the curse. Because of Christ, I have confidence to say, amen, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help me to see and live graciously and obediently to you. I am humbled by your grace and provision. And the thing that I love about this tension, because that's what it should feel like, that this is a really big tension, that God is going to punish sin and those who continue to sin and, and, and live in rebellion. But And there's no way around the curse except through Christ. We can go through the curse because Christ has already redeemed. He's made the bridge. Um, and I think that that's such an incredible reminder for us, even as we read these prophets, even as we read these Old Testaments. And I know I think I've said this the last several weeks. I've hinted it or implied something along these lines. But we cannot neglect the value and the truth of Jesus and what he brings to the table. Sin is going to be punished. 
And those who rebel and continue to follow it will also be punished. But because of Christ, we're no longer held to the curse. We're no longer uh, victims of punishment. We're now recipients of grace. And, and this is the tension that Jeremiah struggles with is I, I'm frustrated for my people. I'm frustrated for this message, but I know I'm called to serve you and do what you've asked me to. And so I just think it's such an incredible, uh, great and challenging statement for me. Uh, but I also think for us as followers of Christ today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess to kind of keep moving along here uh, with our Bible talk this week, um, we're also going to talk about the book of Second Corinthians. And in this book, again, we've already been through it once in the Bible reading plan. Um, but there's just a quick a quick little aside that I thought would be fun to highlight because I don't, I don't think we touched on it the first time that we went through. Um, but it, I would just call it the generosity of, of Macedonia. And so if you remember, uh, the church at Corinth, they are... Um, I guess the rawest of new Christians. They uh, yes. they're like Paul. We believe what you're saying. This is awesome. And then Paul has to write the 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 first letter to the Corinthians, which is basically just like, guys, what are you doing? And then um, uh, the letter of Second Corinthians obviously takes a little bit of a different tone. He's really just taking the time to uh, to encourage them um, as well as defend his ministry mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but I I, th- I just thought this passage presents such a beautiful picture of the way that. I, as Christians, we're called not just to treat um, everyone in general, although we are, um, but the way that we're called to also treat our fellow Christians. And so it says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, uh, we want you to know, brothers, this is Paul speaking, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave, them to themsel- they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, he ha- that as he has stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And so, kind of confusing, but we can, we can infer what's going on here. Um, the churches in Macedonia, which is a region in northern Greece, um, it's also where Alexander the Great's from. So fun fact there. Um, but the the churches in this region are are poor. They they have a lot less money than um, some of the other cities, um, and that might just be because like a lot of the other cities that Paul's going to are port towns mm-hmm. uh, where there's a lot of trade coming in. Macedonia, I believe, is landlocked. Don't don't hold me to that if it's not. Um, but there's just there's reasons that these churches are going through a hard time. They're going through a persecu- a time of persecution. And really, when Paul is um, saying we need money, we need things to help just kind of relieve the struggles of the saints, I, I wonder if he has the church in Macedonia in, in mind because of the suffering that they're going through. But then when, when word reaches them of this, um, they ask Paul to help. And so instead of thinking to themselves like, yes, we need the help, thank you so much, it's, it's instead um, – this attitude of of both gratitude, but also what can we do? And Paul says they, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. Or in other words, I guess we at the church, you know, we have the code, right? And it's so much about um, who we are as a church 
It's on the it's on the wall in the lobby. Um, but one of the codes or is on our website if you don't attend our church. That's true. Or on our website, it's called the code. Uh, but one of our codes is we will lead the way with a rational generosity, and that's just a biblical New Testament, especially a New Testament thing, but all throughout the all throughout Scripture. Um, this idea that it might not make sense for the Macedonians to give as much as they do, but um, they love God so much, they mm. love their fellow Christians so much that they are selflessly giving. And it says that they're even they're ba- basically they're begging Paul, like, no, take this. We want to help. We want to help with what you're doing. And then yeah. they're actually able to fund. Um, the relief of the saints, which is what it's called, but also, you know, new churches getting planted, going out there. It's just this really wonderful picture yeah. of just the selfless sacrifice of a church. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a beautiful picture of who we're called to be as Christians and not just necessarily the church building or the organization, although there is that layer there too, uh, but just towards each other. I love that. So uh, one of the Psalms we're going to be reading, I think we have three, three Psalms on our schedule this week. Uh, and the Psalm I want to highlight for us today is Psalm 100. Uh, I'm going to read it real quick. It's five verses, uh, and then share a simple thought with you today regarding it, uh, before we wrap up this podcast. It says this Psalm 100, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. Uh, And I love this psalm uh, mainly because there was a season in my life where I remember uh, just through a very difficult uh, journey of just different things hitting, I felt like literally everything in in my world was crumbling around me. I was in college studying to be a pastor. Uh, I stopped going to church. I stopped doing chapel services and different things like that. But I just remember there was one verse that I held to. Uh, and this verse is repeated all throughout the Psalms, but it's literally this first five it says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Uh, and I love the promise there. It says his faithfulness through all generations. Um, this Psalm brings uh, to close the celebration of God, God's kingship. Um, but what I, what I think is so fitting for us today is that simple statement through all generations. Uh, this isn't an Old Testament passage written for an Old Testament time. It's a timeless truth of God's kingship, that he is sovereign. Nothing's greater than him. No one is no one is better or more powerful. And as we read these Psalms and read statements like these, it's important to stop, to pause and reflect on, on, on what they, what we're being told about God and who he is, because these verses ring true to the entirety of who God is. And and in the, I remember in that season for me, uh, the idea that, okay, God, you're, you're, you're all good and your love endures forever. And I would always say, I follow up with that. I need you to prove it right now. And it was very, it was, it was hard. I mean, it was, I was discouraged. I was defeated. I was depressed. I was, I mean, fill in the blanks. I was in, in a low, low valley, but I remember in all of the things that I was dealing with, I kept coming back to this passage uh, or this thought and, and different that I've read in different Psalms throughout the course of my years up to that point and just saying, God, your love you are good and your love endures forever. I just need you to prove that. And I love the fact that in verse five here, it says through all generations, the promise still rings true for you and I, the, the, the reality of God still rings true for you and I today, that God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I remember old school song when I was a kid, we'd sing that at church. Um, he is, he is the sovereign creator. He is not created. And, and therefore he is above and sits above, not in arrogance, but in authority in scripture. And so I think it's an incredible uh, and exciting uh, reminder for us today as we read these Psalms uh, that they just bring us to a point of remembering who Christ is and what he is doing. So that's what that's 
the way we're going to end our podcast today. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to uh, to wrap it up. Um, just a reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out our other podcasts and resources, you should. Yeah, you can visit our website at grove.church. Um, and also, yeah, just leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It helps yes, get the word out there, uh, helps grow the community. It so. makes me feel better about my life. Also, that is just true kidding. as well. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, we will see you all next week. <laughs>